Did the Dimebacks just save their 2023 season over the past weekend? We're going to talk about that, a changing of the guard at the catcher position, and highlight some recent promotions in the Dimebacks farm system on today's episode of Snakes on the Diamond. Greetings, everyone. I hope you're having, I hope you're having a good Monday. The D-backs definitely are after snapping a nine-game losing streak and winning back-to-back games to close out a two-and-three homestand against the Los Angeles Dodgers and San Diego Padres. I'm Mike McDermott. I'm a contributor and part-time beat writer for Fan Nation's Inside the Dimebacks on Sports Illustrated. Joining me today is my co-host, Wes Beyer. So, Wes, how are you doing today? I'm good. I uh, have an announcement. I will be returning to writing articles regularly for AZ Snake Pit. I should have a top prospect list out sometime in the next week or two. There's still uh, some some decisions to be made on that, but you can expect the written article there and, of course, a video here uh, when I publish it. So how are you doing, Michael? Doing great. It's like we're going to be uh, looking forward to how – I guess you can say looking forward to how things will be going moving forward with the uh, podcast. We'll be instead of trying to do f- one episode every week, they were just going to do one episode per series. So this week will be Monday, Thursday. Talk about the uh, Rocky series on Thursday when after we preview it later in the show. But otherwise, yeah, yeah, yeah um, I got nothing a lot else. more reasonable schedule for, for for us to do it that way, and we want to you know do quality over quantity and i think uh just you know make make our videos have a lot more information in less time so uh you can get the information you need quicker it's pretty much the consensus we came up with all right so rolling into our opener segment did the diamondbacks save their 2023 season over the weekend against the san diego padres the d-backs opened up this weekend series with a pretty awful loss, losing 10-5 to on Friday night to Blake Snell, despite having plenty of opportunities to score on him. But they were able to bounce back the next day with Zach Gallen doing his typical Zach Gallen after a loss thing with six shutout innings and a strong game from the bullpen, finishing off a 3-0 shutout. And on Sunday, despite trailing 3-0 before their first swing of the bat, ended up pushing ahead of the San Diego Padres 5-4. to Five to four in a very thrilling game. So, what did you think of that? How that's what did you think of how that series kind of went? Well, first of all, I wouldn't say the Diamondbacks like saved their season. They at least you know uh, made sure their the season wasn't over. Um, that they definitely uh, probably put the you know put the Padres to bed for the the playoffs. I really don't think they, they're going to be able to. Even even more unlikely than than a, the Diamondbacks having extended run. So uh, after two games in a row, Gallon, that was uh, exactly what we needed to see. It was uh, if you watched last week, you know that was a very depressing little month of uh, baseball. There were you know just winning a series is nice. Um, Gallon returned to form. He's uh, you know not only like helped keep Diamondbacks playoffs hopes alive, but his Cy Young hopes alive too with that kind of start. Yeah, and one recent gallon is one of the top contenders for Cy Young, not only because of his overall great numbers, but his ability to pitch well when his team is coming off a loss. 
And we're going to pull up a couple of graphics for you, for anyone watching the video. We'll follow along if you're watch, uh, listening in. So Gallon, we, we've nicknamed the stopper on the show. 13 starts following a Diamondbacks loss. The team has a 9-4 record. Gallon himself has an 8-1 record. And in those games, he's averaging six and a third innings, 83 innings and 13 starts with an ERA of 184. And when those 13 starts, he also has 89 strikeouts to 10 walks, which is an absolutely absurd strikeout to walk ratio. We're talking Kurt Schilling territory. And to close it off, he's averaging less than a base runner per inning at 0.88 whip. It's, and then moving on to uh, it's impressive just looking at his stats. That's uh, like all I could, my only thought was wow. Yeah, another person I sent these stats to. His response was, "Good lord." So in those thirteen starts, he has pitched at least six innings in eleven of them. Ten of those eleven starts were quality starts, and f- four of those starts were scoreless. And then. I think he had one start where he didn't go six innings and two runs or uh, two runs or less. That was against Toronto, and in ten of those thirteen yeah. starts, the D-backs had a lead when Gallon threw his last pitch. Pretty crazy. Wasn't the Toronto series pretty much where, like, you know, the season really went south for that? Uh, you know, the last month, like, was it five six weeks? Uh, was that really kind of the beginning of this like uh, extended it- losing spell? I would say the Mets series was the beginning, but certainly the Toronto series was the one where you probably started thinking, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's kind of fitting that Gallon, uh, that that being the one really uh, bad start that he had, um, kind of, yeah, definitely was the throes of, like, this season being at its, its worst so far. Um, but just, like, the positive, like, having a guy like him, like, you can uh, make it to the playoffs without having a stopper uh i mean people talk about like having an ace but uh you know there's the guys you know and he may have a bunch of you know scoreless starts but like when it counts and the team's an extended you know an extended losing uh streak they don't perform under pressure and gallon it was really uh the thing you want to look for in like your ace pitcher is he steps up uh, really, really, when like the team is depending on him, like if if the Diamondbacks had lost that game, do do they win? Uh, thought start the next day? Uh, probably not. I don't think that, that they'd have the momentum to do it unless like Thought throws like a no hitter or a perfect game. I just I, I just see like that being more deflating if the Diamondbacks had lost the second one uh, with Gallon, and then you know. I mean, that's what you, you need a guy like that. You really need two or three guys like that. I mean, as you know, like Randy and Kurt, uh, or you look at like, you know, Strom's quartet that he had with the Astros. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, Cranky, Garrett Cole, Verlander, Wade Miley. I mean, you have like four, if you have four or three, you know, at least two starters, you're not going to have uh, that extended losing streak, you know? I mean, that's the main thing is if you have a guy like, like Gallon, your, uh, your losing streaks are pretty much going to end at four games. And then it's like, if you look at this rotation, obviously Merrill Kelly is a pretty solid guy in their rotation as well. But the problem is, is the, him and Gallon are the only two guys you can really depend on from start to start. 
Yeah. And you're basically dealing with a lot of bad options right now. You got a lot of young pitchers. Of course, in the case of Ryan Nelson, who was recently sent down to AAA because he couldn't throw his secondary pitches with any sort of consistency. There, that may have also led to the tipping. Maybe how he threw the ball could have done it as well. But uh, going to have him work on improving that slider and trying to get it back to his slider being his best pitch in his arsenal, like it was in his cameo last year. But also. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing growing pains with Fott at the major league level. Pretty interesting stat, like I said. Fott has done 11 starts. D-backs are 5 and 6 in those starts. Fott is 0 and 6. Has a personal record of 0 and 6 and zero wins. And this is why wins don't matter for pitchers, honestly. Like, I, it, it, as we're saying, that I mean, by no fault, his last three starts, he he shouldn't have won. You know, his last start, he should have won the two prior starts because he's been excellent in his last three starts. Um, he's really mm-hmm. looked like the kind of guy that you, you want him. Yeah. He's, you know, some damn solo homers. Uh, but for a middle rotation, like it's pretty much what we need. He's, he's becoming, and I like, I like what I see. I thought the last three starts, not really his fault, my point, but yeah, no, there really hasn't been anyone dependable. Uh, Nelson has gone away from, you know, what, like what his strengths are really from, from what I can see, he's really like just pitching backwards from, you know. I would say he's regressing. Yeah, he's regressed to some extent too, yeah. So anyway, we're going to have Tori talking about Brandon Fott's start yesterday. Fott was really one pitch away from a quality start, and what I told him, it looked like to me that the last pitch, potentially one of the last pitches that he threw um, to the number eight hole hitter was strike three, which would have got him back in the dugout with the quality start. And I don't really care because based on what I saw, he gave us everything he could and settled in um, after those early runs. And when you see young pitchers do that and show the ability to redirect themselves and, and not get scraped off the mound, you're talking about somebody that's ready to, to, to grow and learn. So. so what do you think of that? Um, first of all, uh, we need to take a sample of Tori saying, I don't really care because that's applicable to so many things with the soundbite. But, uh, no, he's right. I mean, Fott was, you know, a pitch away from having a quality start. Uh, he's had, uh, you know, he's, he's – I mean, I really can't really, – I mean, I agree with him completely. And he actually did make that pitch. Unfortunately, I'm thinking get the memo. Uh, yeah, that's, although that's Drake started calling a pretty bad zone from that point forward, from what I remember seeing. Once again, not really his fault. That's why Tori says he doesn't care. Yeah, that's I. Yeah, I know. I really did. I agree with him. I don't really care either. Um, you know, he's showing the results that you want to see out of him, like we've talked about. Uh, the things that we've talked about, like what we want to see out of him, he's done. Like, what do you, what do you like? What more can you get? Yeah, like, he's gonna throw a no hitter or like a two hitter every other time he goes out. Um, this is what. This is the standard you have to have with a young pitcher. Do he give you a chance to win? Yes. Then it was a good start. Yeah. Yeah, it's not Zach, That's how I feel about it. It's not like Zach Gallon where the expectation of a good start is a quality in Merrill Kelly where the expectation yeah. it, for a good start is a quality start, which is yeah. we didn't define it with the Gallon graphic, but that's when a starting pitcher goes six or more innings and gives up three er- runs or less. I mean, that's going to keep you in the game. A quality start is really good, you know. For, for if you're like just a casual fan listening to this, you know, 
and you, you're not really into statistics. You just want to know a little bit about pitchers. The, the quality start is a really decent measure of like, is that, is that pitcher going to give you a chance to win back what you're saying? But yeah. unfortunately, like, you know, like we, we've known that offense has uh, struggled at times this year. Um, Especially I think over the last the, month. Um, last, I, I think that I, there's, there's, been, there's been a lot of changes over the last, uh, the, what, like last three, four days in terms of the roster. So it's really, uh, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, yeah, we'll, talk, side, like, yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to the, uh, Rocky series preview, we have a roster move today and we'll discuss that later, but going back to the last game, obviously the big blow came when Guriel got, came off the bench and hit that home run and, what stood out to me in that bat wasn't the home run. Obviously, everyone's going to talk about the home run, but it was the pit, what he did on the previous pitch that impressed me the most. Nick Martinez executed the changeup he wanted. It was right below the knees, over the over the middle of the plate. Guriel spits on it, tracks it right into the catcher's glove, and I'm talking and I'm in the press box seeing that. I'm, and of course, uh, got Nick to my right, Brian Cano Senior. Uh, we were talking about. That right there is like, hey, okay, there's, there you go. Tracking the ball into the mitt. And if taken by taking that pitch, he might have put, that might be the swing pitch if he can get a hold of one. And uh, here's I asked Tori that question after the game about taking the 2-2 pitch, and this is what Tori said. We, I talk about that all the time with the guys, and I know the hitting coaches do too. Uh, it's sometimes the pitches that you take that put you in the right position um, to, to get something that you can do damage on. Had he swung at that pitch, Swing pitch, swing part of the count. He he probably wouldn't have gotten the same got the same pitch the next the the very next pitch. So, yeah, if you're only as good as the, as the pitches you swing at. You got to be dynamic and swing at strikes. If you're looking to slug, you got to slug the pitch you're looking for. And if you got you don't get it, you check off on it. Um, and the fact that he checked off on that, I think, really set a tone for what he was seeing, what he's ready to do. So what happened on the next pitch is Martinez threw another changeup. This time, belt high, and Guriel launched it. In the stands, it was a no doubt shot off the bat. Yeah, he absolutely crushed it. Um, I, it's funny that we, uh, I, I think, I think it's it's fair to admit our our mistaken criticism is that uh, Guriel has not always been the highest hitter going into the second half, uh, and he has really shown us that like he, it's obviously not the case with him and on Don the dying back. He's really. Uh, he's been like the dime back, one of the hottest hitters for the team. So, um, like, don't know what he's doing differently, but he seems to be in the zone. You think he's probably laying off more pitchers' pitches is probably the thing. But if you look at his month of August, he's hitting 342 with four home runs. His highest home run month since June. And he's only played 11 games. So he's on pace to have yeah. his potentially either his highest or second highest home run total in the month. And now, of course, Guriel, and Guriel is pretty close to a career high in home runs on the season. And I feel like um, when Guriel's hitting, because obviously you're hitting behind Cattell Marte, Corbin Carroll, Christian Walker, it's like you got chances to drive in runs with those guys hitting in front of you. So when he's when he's on, it's like it feels like their offense is at a much clicking at a much different level. Yeah, I mean, he really when it, when it's cold. I mean, I think one of the, the things that's really uh, impacted the offense over the last 
you know, like this during the, this cold spell, uh, is is it's coincided with Guriel's cold spell, um, as well as you know the absence of another player that we'll talk about uh, in a bit, uh, him coming back. But like when Guriel's on, yeah, it's like night, night and day with this offense. It's exactly what like that missing, uh, the missing component of the offense that really like uh, makes this team fun to watch. It makes it a winning team too. I mean, that's the thing. Like when they when they play like they have when I uh, yeah, he's actually he's only two away from his uh three he needs three more home runs to reach three right. That seems likely so, to happen before the end of the month. That's, very, that's yeah, that's very likely. Um we're how many games is he playing? Like what percentage okay, so he's played hundred five, we're at so the majority of the game, yeah, he's gonna he'll he'll easily, unless he goes on a really really bad cold spell, another cold spell like, uh, basically doesn't hit the rest of the the season. He's gonna break his home run his his personal home run record, which is uh, I guess we have if you notice something, he has double digits in every other year in home runs. That I, I mean, twenty he has eleven home runs, twenty home runs, eleven home runs, twenty one home runs, five home runs. 19 home runs this year. I think we got the the odd year Guriel magic. <laughs> yep, and then uh, I just noticed that. Did you notice that? Yeah, and yesterday was Guriel's first hit as a sub. You're just looking at that on his baseball reference splits. That's just yeah, funny. It's, uh, and it's also his first career pinch hit home run as well. I, I, you know, the real question, like while we're talking about Guriel, is he's a free agent at the end of this season. Um, do you offer him a qualifying offer? I can't do it. Give him one. You can't do it. With these no, trades, you right? literally okay. cannot give him a qualifying offer. His contract yeah, says right. so. so. So do you do you just resign Guriel? If I can get him for and two years, do, sure. If you do, okay, then you got you answered my next question. Like, if if so, how long? So yeah, two. I would do it for two. I do play like I. I can get for two and twenty. Player option. <laughs> Or two or and two, you know, two another two option if he he meets his uh, performance, uh, you know, like bonus potentials, all that. Like I, I think that Guriel's. I, I would not sign him long term. I've ta- I've seen people on uh, on social media talking about like signing like five year extension, and and the man is uh, gonna turn thirty in October. Turning the thirty in October. I mean. We've bet against aging players before. I don't think it's really fair necessarily to assume that the guy is going to age poorly. Uh, but Guriel does not have the skill set of a player that you know would age well generally. Um, I mean, if his bat, if you think his bat's going to age well, he's still got the he can still DH yeah, long term. I mean, yeah, that's really like the real. If you think he's going to return to form next year, he really has a, a play. I wouldn't. I wouldn't resign him honestly. I would. I think that we'd. Uh, you know, let them walk and then, uh, or if they do resign and flip them at the, the deadline, uh, just to make, you know, bring in players, that whole strategy, which I, I, it's a whole side conversation. I like, really like, but you get back to the, getting back to the, this Guriel when he's on, it really does change the lineup. There really is no, I uh, like, I mean, who do you replace him with? Like, uh, Long term, they don't what's really the alter- have anyone. What, what's the alternative to Guriel? So that's really the thing. So, I mean, yeah, I guess 
you know, one or two years. I think I think I would I'd be happy seeing him come back as long as it's not too long. All right. So, yeah, if you're looking, a uh, guy can competently handle left field and a well above and above average bats. Like, there's not very many other alternatives. If you look at it. Yeah. All right, so now we'll move on to the next segment, and this is some big news in the last 24 hours. We have an official changing of the guard at catcher in our call of the bullpen segment. Carson Kelly is out, designated for assignment, while Gabriel Moreno was activated off the injured list. Tori Lavello said point blank. When asked point blank who gets the majority of catcher reps, Moreno is now the guy at catcher. So kind of just... Uh, That's who I was talking about coming back i think that guy moreno was a real one of the big missing components along with the hot guriel that was the difference between the lineup with the two of them is tremendous i do think that that the uh well carson kelly's on the way out i do think the rest of the clubhouse is definitely going to miss kelly obviously since he's been around for five seasons yeah. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Either is going to get claimed on waivers or he's going to become a free agent after rejecting an outright assignment to the minor leagues because he can do that without forfeiting any of his salary at five years of service time. He's, he's earned it. I mean, uh, it's it's interesting. It's kind of sad in a way. I mean, that's like the, the last of the players acquired for Goldie. Um, you know, single, single tier. That were acquired as players. Uh, yeah, that Carson Kelly is uh, really. I don't think he was ever going to live up to that year that he had. Like, I mean, it's obvious. Like, he hasn't been healthy. He hasn't really. I, I just. I think that was just like the one good year we got out of him was just a, a fluke. I mean, technically, you could yeah. describe twenty one as a good year if you look at the uh, full season numbers, but obviously, it was a. Six week hot streak and then just got. Yeah. Well, I guess you can say a string of bad luck injuries. Yeah, and that's not that's not like I I you know I I have nothing against Carson Kelly the person, but uh, his performance on the the field has been lacking and since twenty twenty one. And I'm actually like looking up his stats just because I haven't really. Given it a look recently. While he does that, we're going to play this clip. Tori Lavelle explained the move. Yeah, these types of decisions are never easy. Um, and, you know, these types of decisions are never easy. Um, and we, we've had discussions around this for, for several days. We knew that Gabby was getting healthy. Um, we talked about what direction we wanted to go. And we believe enough in, in uh, Gabby and Herrera being our guys here. That's ultimately what it came down to. Um, and Carson was um, was somebody that we brought in here that was going to get get the get the majority of the reps, um, which he did. And we just felt like it wasn't working on the level that we wanted to see it work at. That's ultimately what the decision was, um, or why the decision was made wasn't easy they weren't easy conversations and especially when you got to sit down and talk to your athlete um that's and he's been here a while he's been here through some very hard some good times some very difficult times and we're coming out the other side and you want those players that have grinded through those moments to be here to to 
to, to get those good feelings, um, those that's what makes those conversations hard. But um, he's going to find himself in the big leagues again. And, you know, he's free from the situation here, and he's going to go out and get some reps with another organization, and he's going to be able to show what he can do. So anyways, I'm pulling up Carson Kelly's numbers since May 14th, 2021. To the, uh, 20, 20, 2019 was actually uh, his best season. He had 111 games. Uh, he was worth 1.8 F4. He's positive offense to defense. Uh, 107 WRC plus. Uh, in, you know, 2020, that's like bad to pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, and in 2021, he you know he did fall like with a, you know, played 98 games, which is about what you'd expect from your your primary catcher. He was uh, not quite as good offensively. Uh, his defense was there. I mean, he's the same value either way, though. They're both 1.8 F4, so um, he hasn't really been the same player since then. Corey's right; he will find a job. He's a you know, at the very least, a very competent uh, backup catcher. Or like you know, as compliments as a platoon, I would I really would be very surprised if he does not end up on a, on a major league roster within the next like you know by the end of the year, you know so, if he doesn't if he doesn't decide to return to the Diamondbacks organization, it's very unlikely that he accept assignments to the minor leagues. I think. No, I'm sure there are some teams that would certainly look to add him and then see if he's worth keeping for next season. As someone, they could either flip at the deadline or be a missing piece to their offense. But anyways, looking up at Carson Kelly's numbers since he suffered that in um, fractured toe injury against Washington, he's been a 211 hitter with a 281 on base, 331 slugging percentage, and 695 plate appearances. Although it's the primary starting catcher, it's like the plate appearances are still kind of low. Yeah. Um. This is slugging. This is isolated slugging. Is the like the the second lowest of his. Like I mean, really, it's the lowest of his career. If you really look <laughs> look at his numbers, um, he just hasn't been the same player. It seems like he might not be 100 percent healthy still. Uh, just uh, based like I mean, I've, I've I've had a foot injury. They take forever to heal, even when you think they're healed. Uh, broken toe takes a long, 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 long time <laughs> to heal. Uh, and it's, you know, it's very aggravating. I imagine that's like played a factor. I think, uh, especially you know, when he you're on your, the, he, he hasn't had the reps either. And especially when you're a catcher and you're on your feet all day. Yep. So you're not, when point. you're in the catcher squat, all your weights on the front of your foot. Yeah. On the balls, of your feet, oh, and yeah. your heels. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think it's really, I'm really excited for for guy Moreno to to get the the full time catching job. He's he's a fan. I was so excited when we acquired him. He's like one of the best catching prospects I've seen, other than now like Rushman, honestly, which is one of those things that you like you said we can't talk about players that will never play for the Diamondbacks. So uh, Moreno's wonderful, and I I'm really excited to see how he grows as a player because he has a when just very high ceiling. I think the only real question was his power potential. Yeah. If you look at Moreno right now and his, his 75 games, and obviously Moreno himself has dealt with injuries. Moreno's hitting 274 with a three on three eighteen on base percentage, 363 slugging. 
And that adds up to a 682 OPS and an 88 OPS plus, which you'll take behind the plate, especially with the level of defense that he provides you. And to me, I feel like his current level of production at the plate is his floor. So I think there's room for growth considering he's only 23, especially in the power department. Yeah, no, I, I, I really agree with you there. He, this seems like uh, I'd be, I, I would be very, very, very surprised if he does not greatly improve on uh, what we see in the major leagues from so, so far, like leaps and orders of magnitude better. Because like it's the talent is clearly there. The health just has been, uh, of course, that gets in the way, and uh, it just takes the reps. But I think like hopefully he can go next season. We get a full full season of uh, Gabriel Moreno at uh, you know as our starting catcher. I think we'll be really happy. I think he's someone that actually hopefully would extend long term. Before yeah, Moreno's right team. Moreno obviously. He has five more years of control beyond this season. He'll be controllable through the 2028 season. But you look, I'm looking at his uh, value numbers on, fa- on uh, no, not Fangress, on baseball reference, and they have credited him with 13 runs above average on defense. So do you think he has the potential to win a gold, National League gold glove behind the plate? Um, I, I, yeah, as long as he's not playing in the, uh, the same division as, like, Rushman and... Uh, the same league as Rushman. Uh, yeah, no, I really think he does. He has a, he's a can for an arm. He's very uh, very athletic behind the plate. Um, like, I really – I can't – I don't know what to say, like, he really needs to improve because he's already – like, it's most of his value this year has been from his defense. Like, well, he certainly like won't be able value. to improve his ability to throw out runners. He's already the best at it. Yeah, that's that's the real thing, the real surprise out of him this year. It's been like the dude has a cannon and just like sniper right now. Correct, it's a sniper rifle for throwing out runners. Like he is uh, just like one of the best I've seen. Like I can't really like uh, Miguel Montero during his peak was pretty good at nailing down runners, but he never had to deal with this volume of of runners, you know. And I would say Montero had a stronger arm than Moreno, but Moreno is literally has textbook throwing mechanics and has a yeah. textbook throwing mechanics and the ball is very accurate and it doesn't tail for sure. Like it, it gets, it usually gets to where it needs to go. Yeah. It's sniper rifle. Like he's one of those, like the baseball equivalent of the military sniper rifle who like takes like wind measurements and like, you know, they, they count for the parabolic, curve and gravity and they hit a guy that's two miles away you know like as that's the metaphor for what he does on the you know on the diamond he's just like very accurate throwing arms one of the best i've seen yeah that cast doesn't give him a lot of um on framing but i feel like framing has got a lot of noise in it so i'm not going to worry too yeah. much about that i think it's like the statistic has existed long enough to really like uh have a good read on it of uh like it just hasn't been around long enough for us to really make meaningful conclusions from the data like i said uh long term how how would you project him out to play out between now and 2028 i uh i would think that he's gonna be i mean is he rare talent uh like the like the molina brothers but like better, better offense. 
like the Molina brother level defense, but with like uh, I don't really. I'm trying to think of a good comp for him because it's there's not of uh, not a lot of good ones. So if you wanted to compare him to Yadier Molina, Molina has a 96 OPS plus, which is eight points higher than what Moreno is doing this year. Yeah, they got yeah Yadi would be. Uh, I mean, Yachty, half the reason why I like Yachty might be part of the Hall of Fame is he's just stuck around with the same, you know, he's stuck around. Very impressive how long to be a catcher that long. I think Moreno is going to give us uh, some significant wins above replacement over the, the lifetime of his uh, stay with the Diamondbacks. I mean, he has like five more years of control. Uh, he's he's uh, accrued a like one half war so he's like he's above he's above uh above replacement level at minimum and i, I agree with him that's that's the floor for him um the ceiling for him i could see him putting up like uh five or six war seasons maybe higher i could see him peaking at like a, a like a seven not regularly. I think he'd be like a. I think he's like a four, four or five word catcher. I feel, but I mean, I think he's got he got he's got something in that high. If he can get his in a in a hypothetical where he perfectly develops his hit tool and gains that power that uh, people have kind of even... projected onto him, I think that he has it in him. I already think his. Hit, I already think his hit tool is already where it needs to be. It's a question oh, of getting is. the ball in the air. It may be just an issue of launch rep. angle more so than raw power. It's just more consistency. And I think yeah. that comes down to uh, experience. And it's like making better swing decisions. I think he'll get better. And even if he doesn't hit for power, he's still going to be a useful bottom of the order bat as a guy who can get... As a guy who has a really good two-strike approach and is basically... If you have a runner at first, you, it, you're hoping that, you know, that you, can ex, you don't leave a pitch up and away, basically. Anything close to the strike zone away, because he has a he already has hitting the ball through the four hole and into an art form at twenty three. Padres learned that the hard way. I think he's got like like I mean I really can't. If Corbin Carroll wasn't like such an astounding prospect, like we would be raving about Gabriel Moreno all the time. I mean like just uh, who of the century acquiring him? Honestly, in my opinion, I. but he's the, he's that quality of a prospect. It's literally just Corbin Carroll and the guys we have, you know, that are uh, we've got some flashy prospects. And Moreno, since he had his rookie eligibility wasted, uh, we would be hyping that since spring training. I know you would. I know I would. You would give them another, another. I guess you can say it, another option. But obviously, Carroll's got that rookie of the year award on lockdown. Yeah. So we're gonna. Transition over. So now we're going to transition over to our next hyped up prospect, Jordan Lawler. Just announced on Insta- announced on Instagram last after the game after the Amarillo game last night that he's been promoted to Triple A Reno. This is a very common. There is a very common tactic that this organization likes to use with prospects late in the year to call them up to the level that they're going to start the next season at and. Yeah. Kind of get them acclimated to it. They did that with Lawler last year they, with the late promotion of the double A. And obviously they're going to do it here with Reno. 
a little bit later timeline than Corbin Carroll, so the big leagues is probably unlikely, unless Lawler just b- turns heads in spring training. But that's a that's a different topic for a different time. Yeah, so we'll, we're gonna we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, if Lawler's mashing in spring training, we'll be one of the first people to suggest, especially since there's not. Uh, I mean, Ahmed's gonna be gone. He's a weak link of the team. Uh, yeah, Lawler getting promoted to Reno, that seems very likely that his EPA is very least the end of next season. So here's what Tor- here's what Tori said about this, although the context of this particular sound clip has nothing to do with Lawler, but it still applies. Yeah, I think so. Um, I've been with Mike a long time, and when we were player development in Boston, he, he would always give guys the opportunity to show what they could do by the end of the year for the level they were going to start out the next year. And I thought it was a very healthy way for these players to learn um, and think about their next off season. So they were ready for the next level. Um, I think that's just a strategy that works in this game. So you kind of look at that and it's like, obviously Lawler, Bryce Jarvis are the main examples, but also if you look lower in the system, uh, Ansel Luis was promoted to Vizalia. And he's actually holding his own over there. That's an eyebrow raiser. I mean, he's a, he's a literal teenager, so. Um, so he doesn't turn 19 until March 6th. Yeah, that's be- like, he's he's very young. Uh, it's exciting to see, like, these guys. Like, I mean, he's going to shoot up the prospect rankings uh, if he has a uh, hot finish to the year and uh you know like he's already he already caught he already turned you know turned heads in spring training i mean he's very young he's very talented he's literally he turned april he turned 18 in march so next yep. spring training he'll be a 19 year old and likely he'll probably like likely start the year in high a uh would you say visalia yeah it's visalia Okay, so yeah, uh, he'll probably likely start the year in Vesalia. Uh, still really young for the league, yet, though. I mean, he's on me on the same well. age. If assuming all goes well, he'll be on the he'll be on a similar um, aging age curve to Jordan Lawler. Although I think Lawler obviously is a more, I think Lawler's a more polished prospect entering the system than Luis is obviously for comparing yeah. a first round pick to a $500,000 signing international signing. Yeah. And, and with Luis is obviously he signed for pretty good money. Six figure bonus is always noteworthy in that, in that particular industry. He's been mashing. Oh my God, I'm looking at his stats and uh, yeah, he's a guy to get excited about. Um, usually like teenagers, you always remember like, um, they're teenagers, especially when they're like the, the, the short season leagues, you really don't know, like really can't put a lot of stock into it unless they're like super young and like just raking, this guy's raked at every single level. Um, I don't, I, he's, uh, I'm going to save all my prospect rankings for my article and uh, a prospect video that we're going to do. Uh, just like I love the aggressive promotions of it. It's good to see Bryce Bryce Jarvis called up. Um, that was very prescient of you to interview him. And uh, 
for us to talk about that. It definitely was what they're doing. So it seems like the Diamondbacks are going to have a more aggressive timeline of promotions, which is something you know I'm all for. I'm basically like get rid of all the veterans, replace them with rookies, uh, trade away anyone of value who's not long-term deal for more players that you can get more value from. That's, or you know that's my strategy, right? Long-term or doesn't help you get in the postseason. Yes. But, uh, Sell it all for parts. Uh, hopefully, we don't have to do that. Hopefully, this is like, you know, teams turning around and uh, Dimebacks are going to be facing the Rockies next. Is that the other place playing tonight? I forget. We'll be playing the Rockies Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Merrill Kelly goes on the mound tonight while they are figuring out what to do for tomorrow and then Wednesday. So the next two next two games are literally uh, as they go. And that's kind of the situation, as we said earlier. They only have two reliable starting pitchers. If Well, two and a half. And then uh, if you want to do two and a half, you can include Fott. But obviously with young pitchers, we said the standard is, did they give you a chance to win? As opposed to, did they pitch a, throw a quality start? That's kind of the thing. And that's kind of not surprising the D-backs are at 500 considering how their rotation has completely collapsed from a depth standpoint. Oh, yeah. that's it, It's not surprising at all. The Diamondbacks are in control of their own destiny. They they do have some tough opponents left in like the Orioles, the Astros, the Dodgers, the Reds. Angry Padres. Cubs, team the-, the, the Cubs and Giants. Uh, but they also have 20 games against opponents like the the Rockies, the Padres again, the Mets, three against the surprisingly weak Yankees and the White Sox, who we know at a fire sale. Uh, they are in control of their own destiny. I actually don't think it's as unlikely as people really think it is. If they can win those series and then go 500 the rest, I mean, that's, that's a wild card spot in my opinion, just because you're going to beat most of the teams that are – like in competing for you, like you're in competition with. I mean, we're playing the Dodgers, uh, we're playing the Padres, we're playing everyone in the division. There's no reason why we can't. I don't think we. I don't think we're sneaking to the NL West title. That seems like impossible at this point. But we could win the wild card, one of them at least. For the Dimex to re- realistically win a wild card, they probably need to go win 26 games at a minimum, probably 28. But I will also add this. If they are not mathematically eliminated from the wild card when they host Houston for the final series of the year, I will consider this season a massive success. I agree. Absolutely. Based on what Hazen said in February. They bought at the deadline and they will and yeah. if they're still mathematically in it on September twenty ninth, that's late enough in the season that I consider that that competitive. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. You, you, if you have a goal, that was the goal that they set, and you achieve the, the goal, then that's that's a success in my opinion. I don't know about you. In my opinion, don't measure success by what you think is a successful season. Measure it by why they think is a successful season. Yeah. That's very that's very great. Uh, like way to think about your. Uh, but the Yankees season clearly wasn't a success based on what ownership had said. So anyways, getting back to the Rocky series, 
Game one, they're going up against Chris Flexen, a guy that's bounced, uh, failed his way out of two organizations, but is in Colorado because the Rockies can't. Rockies, very much like the Diamondbacks, can't field a healthy starting ro- or useful starting rotation. And they don't have a Zach Gallen, or, and to add matters, make matters worse, they don't really have a Zach Gallen or Merrill Kelly type starter to say, losing streak, go go away now. This is the Rockies. I mean, that's kind of, you know, they've always tried. This is just, this is probably the worst season the Rockies have ever had. Uh, they are going to win, they're going to lose 100 games for the first time in their, their history, which is kind of surprising that they never lost more than 100 games. I don't know how they pulled that off. They've just been mediocre until now. They really are not a good team. It's mostly like spare parts thrown together. Uh, they could surprise us. Uh, you know, like there are, you know, like they, these are all professional baseball players that have talent and they could beat them. Yep. And of course, as we know, looking at the Colorado Rock, uh, looking at the Colorado Rockies right now, their hottest hitter is their shortstop prospect, Ezekiel Tofar. He was hitting 308 with a 960 OPS in his last seven days. And he's going to be hitting second to, in tonight uh, for the Rockies tonight. Then you look at, uh, obviously, every time the D-backs play the Rockies, we have to uh, highlight the fact that Ryan McMahon's killed them the last three years. So highlighting those numbers, McMahon against the Dimebacks' career is a 3 a 308 hitter with I'm okay so yeah career wise the 308 hitter with 18 home runs and a 959 OPS against the Dimebacks in 81 career games and they also and uh one other big change is Brendan Rodgers is coming back but obviously the type of injury that he had it's going to take a while before he gets acclimated to the big leagues in my opinion yeah Rodgers is batting fifth for the Rockies tonight I mean, there's some players with some talent. That's why I'm like, you know, I really, uh, Tovar is actually a good, good prospect. I really, uh, he's got some serious potential. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, yeah, like just as much. Uh, I, I, I mean, that this team could be good if they, you know, like they're, they're a few years behind on the ball in terms of where they're at. So uh, this is a, this is a, this is a series the Diamondbacks should win. It's not a question of serious win. The question is sweep or no sweep. I think yeah, the expectation is the D-backs need to at least win two or three, if not sweep. They need to sweep. This is really like, this is critical. Uh, you know, we're talking about they win, need to win 30 games. Well, they won two. Uh, they need to win 28 more. And uh, I think how they need to like look at it is, you know, win, take a one game at a time. You know, Probably they need can to take go. three games. Or seri- uh, taking a series at a time, and you know they take the series against the Rockies. Like they're really putting some uh, some heat on the back of the Dodgers there, especially if we sweep the Dodgers too. That I mean, series the thing, is coming up again too. Well, D-backs and Dodgers, it's like natural order has restored itself, unfortunately. But if you look at that, to get a twenty-six and eighteen record, you either have to get on a winning streak and play five hundred the rest of the way, or you just got to keep winning series and. Yeah. From a winning streak standpoint, maybe they can get five or six games together, which would obviously improve their odds probably 10-15% if they can go on such a streak. In fact, they're already at two. Yeah, it would. Sweeping yeah. the Rockies certainly would help. Well, let's make it three. But, uh, and then four, and then five, and then just keep you going. Ne- you, you can know, never that's... predict how a series in course field goes. 
that's the thing. Uh, always very uh, and a then, chaotic environment to hit in. You can almost expect uh, the first game after Coors Field Series, the D-backs to play like crap. You can, answer, you can predict that. I'm going to pull up Denver's forecast because that actually is going to play a factor in the ball. The, it's pretty humid there right now. It's in the 28% community, 80 degrees. Uh, pretty warm. I mean, it's. Uh, I actually think that this is going to be a very high offense series, just looking at the, the forecast for the next, uh, like, over the next, you know, spring series. It's going to be over 90, which is pretty warm for Denver. When it's that warm, uh, the ball's going to be flying out of the park. So yeah. hold yeah. your breath on every fly ball with any Absolutely. sort of exit. Any decently hit fly ball, you're going to be holding your breath. But anyways, uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for watching. If you're watching here on YouTube, make sure to leave a like, subscribe, turn on the bell for notifications as we play this cheesy six-second video. And if you're listening in on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or all whatever, um, whatever you fan, whatever medium you use for listen to podcasts, make sure to follow the podcast as well when you're on there. If you can leave a review, leave a five star review, and then check uh, head over to the YouTube channel and do all the things that we just said to do, more or less. On you. Well, I botched that one, but uh, it's all it's uh, all good. Like it, subscribe, leave comments, just watch our podcast, listen to it on whatever thing you get your podcast from. We will see you on Thursday. Thursday, we'll talk about the aftermath of the Rocky series and preview the San Diego series for that. And one. go to si. dot com slash whatever and uh, read the latest news for si. dot com slash and MLB slash Diamondbacks. For me.